let's look where we find Joseph today. Um, chapter 42. Um, Genesis 42. Um, I'm actually going to back up to verse 57 in the 41st chapter. If you're there, it just says this. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. It's how, how God orchestrates things and sets things up for this next uh, piece of the how God in the God incidences of things brings people together, either for the first time or first in a long time. Uh, Joseph at this point in time is probably mid-40s at least now, and uh, he has a very interesting opportunity that God brings to him. <clears throat> When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that Harm might come to him. So, Joe, so Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. <clears throat> No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you. <laughs> Joseph seems to have a one-track mind here on this. One. You know, you guys are spies. <laughs> and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, 
<clears throat> Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you, <laughs> didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph's, Joseph gave orders to fill their grains, their, the bags with grain to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done, they loaded their grain on the donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this? that God has done to us. <clears throat> when they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men, we are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of the one father. One is no more. The youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, "How this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go, but bring your youngest brother to me so that I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give you your brother back to you, I'll give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land as they were emptying their sacks. There in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they had, when they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father's, their father Jacob said to them, "You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against him. Everything against is against me." Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you and trust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. So that's the story. You got the picture. Um, you never know what God may do in orchestrating events to allow you to go back to a previous relationship that wasn't quite optimum. And maybe there was some damage that you did. Maybe there was damage that was done to you. Uh, some some un, unfixed work in relationships, a severed relationship, damaged, broken, bent at very least. You never know when God may bring such 
uh, an, an orchestration of events for you to go back and revisit that. It was the case here in the story of Joseph where he had the opportunity to deal with his past. I don't know how it is for you, but growing up along the course of, uh, course of time, there are things that we say and do that we later think better of. Sometimes it's a while later, sometimes it's immediate, and we still have enough pride in us that we don't want to address the problem. We don't want to deal with the bent relationship, so we just, we, we just kind of think that maybe time will heal all wounds. But time does not heal wounds. It only covers them over. The other day, I was uh, uh, on, my, on my, my lower, on my ankle, uh, there was a scab there, and I, I don't even remember how I got it, but it was, are, are you a picker? Are you, do you know what I mean when I say a picker, you know? You get something on you and you just, that kind of thing, and pretty soon you want to get it off, and pretty soon, if you pick it prematurely in terms of a scab, then you create more of a problem, and it just gets deeper and deeper and that kind of thing. So and so I, I, I thought, well, this is pretty well done, and I picked it, and uh, it didn't bleed. Usually, it didn't be. So I thought, well, that's a good thing. That's the one. But it, but it, it takes a while to come around and, and heal. But there will always be, a, a potentially, a mark there. When I was a kid, I remember going down a back road with a bunch of other guys on our bicycles. We had, we had you know, I mean, it was a cool bicycle I had. It had streamers going out the end of the handlebars, you know. It had a light on it and all kinds of things, you know. And we're going down the road. And it was a dirt road, and dirt roads are notorious for piling up stones in the middle uh, along the way. So we were, we were down on each side of that pile of stones in the middle, and lo and behold, down the bottom of the hill, up comes a vehicle. We thought, okay, better get over. Well, when you're going fast downhill and you're wanting to break through, sometimes you break through that centerpiece and it works out wonderfully, amazingly well. Other times which was this time, it didn't go so well. And I lost control of that. And I, my bike went over, and then the, and the other guy piled into me. And, I mean, we had a mess. We had a mess. I had scrapes on my arm. To this day, there is an area of skin here that has left a scar. Uh, where we're and, and it probably would have healed just fine if I wouldn't have been a picker. But that created a problem. So, but, but that was a reminder of an event that happened long ago. If God in his mercy allows you to come back to an event that is uh, unreconciled, uh, just view that as his grace to do that, um, to be able to make things right. And so I want to talk about this business of dealing with your past. Sometimes we just kind of think that maybe if we can just kind of keep putting things down, it'll go away, but it doesn't. It's like a jack-in-the-box. It keeps popping up. And our story today deals with how do we deal with our past. Now, I'm not going to deal with it so much from Joseph's perspective at this point, but the brother's perspective, because that's what's going on here in this 42nd chapter. Now, if, if you've got the history time frame right, uh, this has been about 20 years in that ballpark since Joseph has had contact with his brothers. Um, it may be a little bit more, but at least 20 years. 20 years is a long time. What can you do in 20 years? 
Uh, I suppose if you started to save now and you, you systematically, you'd be surprised at what you could accrue in 20 years. Uh, if, if, you, if you started in a regular habit of exercise and care for your body, you, you could prolong your life a lot better in terms of the quality of life and strength and stamina, all that kind of thing, if you do something about it now. But 20 years is a long time. You can do a lot in 20 years. But, but there's one thing you can't do in 20 years. You can't erase a guilty conscience. If there is something that you know in your heart that is causing guilt, you can't you can't get rid of it. You can't run from you can you can try to avoid it, but you still can't get rid of it. Mark Twain or Samuel Clemens, if you like that name instead, Mark Twain once remarked that a clear conscience is the sure sign of a bad memory. Now that may be true. I think that in part that can be. But uh, I, th I think a clear conscience is something that God can enable us to live with. But when it comes to remembering things, sometimes we don't remember them quite right. Sometimes we don't remember them often. And so we just kind of think, well, everything is fine. But it's not. As soon as, if you've ever offended someone or said something or wounded someone, the next time you see them, what comes to your mind? That very thing that you did that caused the wound or damage. It, 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 it's one of those things that God allows you to just kind of comes right up to you. And you might not have thought about it a long time at all before, but boy, now it just comes right up and you see it. And you and you're have, have the opportunity to respond, to respond to that. You can't go back and live in the past. That's, that's gone. That's gone. You can't go back and change the past. What's done is done. But sooner or later, you have to face your past. That's the thing that's the reality in the process. <clears throat> Longfellow was a poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And he said this, Though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. And in that, I think he's intending to remind us that, that even in this whole process of dealing with our past, it's just a grinding kind of thing, and God gives us the opportunity to deal with it in our current journey. There are two realities from God's word that can be ignored, and they can be evaded, but they cannot be denied. A number of years ago, when we first moved to New Cumberland, that was back in the early 80s, we had a a pastor friend that was a pastor in Mount Union at that point in time who came and uh, did special meetings for us, uh, which which we were, that was in the, the, the pattern, the mode that we would do in the fall. We would have special meetings. And he came, uh, his name was Bill Wallet, and Bill uh, came and, uh, you know, I, I don't remember a lot of the things that Bill said. I know he was very passionate about his preaching and teaching um, but I do remember one sermon title, and the sermon title was uh, was the world's greatest detective. The world's greatest detective. It was kind of an interesting title, and he preached on a verse in the book of Numbers, and that book of Numbers says this: Number thirty-two, twenty-three says, "And you may be sure that your sin will find you out." The world's greatest detective was sin. It will find you out. It has a way of finding its way 
into your heart, and so it exposes things in your heart. You can't deny that sin is going to find you out. The other thing you can't deny is the principle from Galatians 6-7, and that is do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. Those are the realities of things that we can talk about uh, today. They just are things that are there. But God, in his kindness, allows experiences in our life to quicken our minds to deal with unresolved issues in our lives that keep us from the freedom of a clear conscience before him and mankind. It's his gift to us. Even, even we, can't, we can't live in the past, we can't alter the past, but we can face it. And when God allows you to face it, it's with a goal to live with a clear conscience. Paul would put it this way, I want to live with a conscience that's void of offense toward all people so that we can live in integrity and not be always feeling guilty when we see someone or when a, when a thing comes back to mind or we did something and we know that it was wrong and we never made it right. We never dealt with it. We just assume nobody will know. It doesn't make a difference. The world didn't stop. They're probably going to survive just fine. But instead, God wants us to bring us to a place of clear conscience. Now, next week, we're going to talk about a little bit more about the steps to freedom. I guess that's where I'm going. Uh, but, but for today, I want to talk about life experiences that God allows that can force us to deal with unresolved issues from the path, from the past life experiences. And they can come in a number of different forms. I'm just going to highlight some of them from the story of Joseph's brothers and their journey down. These are things that you and I experience along the way, one way or another. Uh, the, the first of the tests, uh, there's a half a dozen in chapters 42, 42 especially, uh, that God uses to awaken the conscience of those brothers. Uh, do you think that they? Do you think that they completely forgot about Joseph? No, I don't think so. It was always in the back of their minds, at least. And for one of the brothers, who seemed to come to the front pretty quickly. I told you not to do that to him. Uh, it came up to his his particular remembrance, and and they put and they put the connection together. The reason why we're dealing with this stuff now is because of what we did back then, and there's the consequence. There's the effect. But there are, there are a series of tests that, that happen here for them. And so I'll just give you half a dozen, and we'll just kind of drill, drill down a bit on them. The first one is this. There's the sense of the loss of security. The first five verses of, of Genesis 42 rehearse that, the, that, that famine had landed in Canaan, and, and it was something they had to deal with. Now, when we have enough stuff, we're, we're pretty well content. But when you deal with scarcity, that's another issue. You, you, do, you, do you remember going to the grocery store and trying to find toilet paper? Do, re, do you remember going to the grocery store and still try, trying to find Lysol spray? Still can't find Lysol spray, it seems to me. They're just they're like hen's teeth, whatever hen's teeth are. Uh, but you know, hard to find. It's there's a scarcity kind of thing. When when you when everything is going well, 
then then we're we're fine. We we just don't recognize our need. But this loss of security for the for the family of Joseph was was a real kind of thing. Imagine Jacob sitting and looking at the sons and saying, "What are you doing? Just sitting there staring at each other? Go do something. Get some direction going for you here." We, I hear that down in Egypt there's grain, so go and buy. Now, I, I don't know what, how, how badly the famine had affected their livelihood. Uh, I, you know, we deal with this COVID-19 stuff, and, 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 and it's affected people's employment and businesses and small businesses and, and stuff that we hear about that way in terms of that lack of security. And, and you might have been going along pretty well, but when that thing hit, uh, you, may, there are people that f- suddenly found themselves unemployed, and so there was a there was a a recourse, a resource for them, and 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 uh, so you could submit a claim to the Pennsylvania unemployment compensation and hope and pray that you get something. There are still people waiting to hear. You know, I mean that can be a very insecure place. This was one of the things that God used to orchestrate a confrontation so that they can face their past and deal with it. Now, when things are going well for us, we're, we're pretty content. Uh, but when things get scarce and our sense of security is altered, then it causes us to be uh, uneasy inside, concerned, and we, and we have to deal with that. And the loss of security was a trigger, was a test that the people, that the Joseph's brothers had to deal with the life experiences that helped them face again the past that they had successfully kind of kept under wraps. A second thing that happened is a sense of this harsh treatment in verses 6 through 14. And and that's the language of the verse. Joseph says, uh, they bow down, in verse 7 says, as soon as Joseph saw them, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger. And, and then down in verse 8, uh, he uses the language, he says, he dealt harshly with them. He was, he was, he re- repeats a couple times, the harsh treatment. Now, when you're treated fine, things are okay. But when you receive the hard edge of treatment, then that causes you to think a bit. It causes you to remember, to go back. And that harsh treatment was precisely, in one sense, the kind of treatment they gave to Joseph, their brother. They didn't treat him. But you, you remember the, uh, well, we didn't, we didn't go into this in the, in the story, but you remember the dream that Joseph had, two dreams that Joseph had about uh, when he was growing up, and, and he came and told these dreams to his brother. He said the one, the one, the one dream was where where we were we were in, all in a, a bunch of sheaves or uh, stalks of, of uh, gathered grain were gathered together, and and, and my my sheath sheaf was was uh, was the one that was important, and all the others of you, the others, fell down or bowed down and worship. And then he talks about sun and moon and stars dream that he has, and the the, the scriptures. When you go back to the story, well, the scriptures say uh, that that only caused his brothers to be more jealous. And, and, and even Jacob discounted it and said, nah, don't worry about it. But at least Jacob put those things in his heart and gave thought to them. He didn't know what was going on, 
but that was that harsh treatment, selling Joseph into prison or into imprisonment and enslavement, putting him in a pit, enslavement, and then sell, and then selling. That was harsh treatment. That's not the kind of treatment that you or I would normally want to receive as a brother, uh, a family relationship. But that harsh treatment, they got a chance to get a dose of their own medicine. Sometimes God allows us to experience some of the pain of that kind of experience to remind us of the kinds of things that we have, we've already inflicted on somebody else that we need to process, we need to deal with. A third thing that occurred was jail time. Now, Joseph knew something about jail time, but here the brothers got a chance to do three days in jail. Imprisonment, incarceration. And so verses 15 to 17 will give you that story. And, and then after that three-day period, then Joseph thinks better of that and comes up with an alternative plan uh, to deal with things. But that's another life experience that created them to think. <clears throat> um, I had shared with, uh, with uh, for prayer support for a nephew of mine, James, uh, it was in a horrific car accident. He's home. He's doing well. He's healing. But uh, he's had had some past visits in jail. And uh, you, you kind of wonder how many chances God gives to somebody, you know, along the way. And hopefully he's learned lessons and, and, and it won't be a continued kind of thing. But sometimes when you're in that prison, it gives you time to think. Now, we've already talked about how sometimes God does can do his best work while we're in prison. And we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and we've talked about John Bunyan, and we can talk about Charles Colson, and how God can do his work in the lives of people. But but for, for these guys, I'm sure they were probably thinking about this whole business. What What's going on? And, and it, it probably is at that point in time that verse... 21 pops in in this in this story where it says they said to another one another surely we're being punished because of our brother they're not talking about Benjamin they're talking about Joseph we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life but we would not listen that's why this distress has come upon us and jail time probably gave him thought to think about and and then and then this whole prospect in verses 18 to 24, a family breakup. Uh, Their structure is now beginning to come unraveled. They've already left one youngest brother and a father at home. And now they're running the risk of losing yet another brother uh, who is kept uh, by Joseph until until they make right the stuff they need to do. So Simeon uh, is a part of the picture. He stays in, in, in jail, in prison, if you will, while they go back. And the family is breaking up. Now, it's wonderful when a family is able to grow up together. There are certainly experiences in life that can break family up. Sometimes uh, parents will divorce, and so you have to do uh, children in shared custody. Sometimes uh, children are left parentless, and they go into a foster care system to provide some help for them. And then sometimes that can be a positive thing or it can be a negative thing. And they can be experiencing shuffled around from here to there and belonging to no one. Um, 
down our way, there's a gal on the Channel 27 News by the name of Valerie Pritchett. And they, they, all talk about, they often talk about Valerie's kids, is her, the promo thing, where they, where they feature children that are in a foster care program that are looking for their forever family. They're looking for a home. And so they'll feature them. And you feel for the children that have been moved from place to place to place with this kind of uh, system that, that hasn't kind of worked. And so it's been broken up. And that's contributed to the pain of, of their growing up experience. All of these kinds of things are, are things that God uses to create change to help us to make sure we're living with clear conscience. Unexpected demands in verse 20 of chapter 42 talked about you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. And this they proceeded to do. They weren't expecting that they were going to have to go and get their brother. They weren't expecting they're going to have to leave a brother to go and get a brother. But that was one of the changes, demands that were made of them. And then the unplanned experience for the rest of the chapter of, of going back and, and now finding that their their, their silver was re, was kept, that uh, was put back in, and they thought, oh, we're in trouble because now they're going to accuse us of stealing it, and now we've got a brother, we've got to go ransom, and and how are we going to? It just it's just like one event after another. <clears throat> why does dealing with our past, or what does dealing with our past enable us to do? When when God allows all of these kinds of things that become disruptive and cause us to move from just kind of coasting to reflecting on what is it that I may have done in the past that you bringing to my attention that needs to be dealt with. What's the value of that? What does dealing with our past enable us to do? And so let me give you three things that I believe that it does. And next week we're going to bore down in a little bit more in terms of how to get to it in terms of steps for freedom. <clears throat> the first one is this. When we deal honestly with our past, it allows us to face our sin honestly. When we deal with our past, it allows you to face your sin honestly. Now at a point in time when, when we cause offense in someone or we wound someone with our words, we may feel very justified. We may say, they deserve it. They deserve the tongue lashing that I gave them. They need to get their act together. They need to change their life. They need to change. So we justify. We rationalize things ourselves. But when we face our past, it allows us to face our sin honestly. And the sin is not so much, I don't believe, about what somebody else deserved. The sin is... What is it that I did that caused that pain, that caused that damage? What is it that I did? And so it all causes us to face that in an honest way. And that's one of the, one of the things that enables us in our facing our past, enables us to do. We get to deal with our things honestly. And dealing with your past allows you to experience forgiveness fully. You know, the scriptures talk about this, you know, here, here to put it this way, in the first John 1, 9 picture, in terms of our relationship to God. If we confess our sin, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, he will forgive. And it's the same principle in terms of natural horizontal relationship as well. We've got to confess. And with that confession comes ownership. The word confess literally means to agree, to speak the same thing as the language of the scripture. In other words, no longer are we making justification for our action that wounded somebody else. We're calling it what it is, sin. And we, we don't like that, but that's what we need to do. When there are relationships that are bent, broken, fractured along the way, we've got to own it ourselves and deal with that, face it honestly, in order that we might experience forgiveness fully. Um, God may forgive us of our sin that we've done for somebody, towards somebody. But there also needs to be that human interaction so that there can be ex forgiveness extended from the person. Now, there are times when maybe that forgiveness won't come from that person. Maybe they will choose to hold on to that. That's very possible. But you don't need to be living in that place of partial forgiveness or unforgiveness because your goal is to release that thing and let God deal with them just as he deals with you as you come to him. Dealing with your past allows you to experience forgiveness fully. And then finally, dealing with your past enables you to move ahead freely. So we've got dealing with sin honestly, experiencing forgiveness fully, and moving ahead freely. Um, We, we sing a song, free, free, forever I'm free. And God has given to us freedom in Christ, that's true. But there are times when you cannot be in a, a completely open and free relationship with someone else when there's something that's been done, something that's been said, something, action that's been done, that you know is there, you know is there. Now, if God hasn't disclosed that to you, that's another issue. But if he has... It gives us the opportunity to deal with it. And that's one of the precious privileges. And it's a part of the story here in chapters 42 and 43 that God is going to deal with us and minister to us. And he's going to enable us to experience freedom and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So I guess in this story with Joseph, I guess what I'd ask is this. What are the things that the Lord is allowing currently in your life it might be his gift to enable you to move to a new place in living full freedom in Christ from the unresolved problems of the past. What are the things that he is longing to do in you? And in light of that, then allow him to work in you and in me to make sure that you have a clear conscience and not just a bad memory. And he's the one who can restore us in our relationships with others and with him. He is the only one that really can do that. Uh, we, can, we can live our life to the end of our days, and, and we may wish that there are things that we would have said, should have said, could have said, but we haven't gotten to. But by God's grace, don't, don't live that way. He wants us to experience a full forgiveness, a freedom to move ahead, not being entangled by the past relationships that cause just the, the sense of angst and or guilt from our, our past workings and, and doings. By God's grace, 
he will help us. Now, next week we'll get into those steps. How do we do that? How do we? It's, it's easy to say, well, okay, here are the things that can stir things up. Here are the things that God longs for us to do. But how do we get there? What's the work of that all about? And by his grace, we'll just kind of drill down on a few more of those things from other portions of the chapters in the book of Genesis. I want you to pause with me for prayer and uh, just see what God would do among us this morning and then do before us as we go through this week. Father, you know the needs of each one. This may not, this message, I, I believe, has something for all of us because we, we are imperfect people and the way we deal with people is, is, is sometimes not, not up to the standard that you would have for us or even the standard we would hold of our own. Sometimes we let our way, in our own way, in our own will, fit in the picture and stronger and say, I demand my rights and, 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 and I was wounded by them, so I wound them back. In the midst of all of that, Father, whatever it is that you're choosing to take from your word today, Maybe it's just dealing with our past. Maybe it's sitting down and taking a look back and thinking about relationships and people. And are there things that I've strained? Are there things that I know are there that you want me to deal with? I pray you'll give us grace so we can, we can face our sin honestly. We can, we can experience forgiveness fully and that we can move ahead, not stuck in the past, but move ahead freely by your grace. Continue to teach us from the life of this man, Joseph, a stellar character, not perfect, but stellar in terms of his heart for you and give us that kind of heart as well. Joseph's language was, I fear God. We want to worship you and serve you. Bless, I pray, each one uh, as they make the application of the truth of your word to their lives. I'll thank you for what you'll do, and I'll give you praise. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen and amen.